This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. It was the reformer Martin Luther who said, Peace if possible, but truth at all cost. It is extraordinary to grasp how the time in which Martin Luther lived offered to him extraordinary opportunities to shape, mold, and produce his essence and his impact on the world. He was not groomed to be a revolutionary. He wasn't a rebellious youth by nature or a naturally charismatic instigator of change or challenger of societal norms. But he was a product of his time. The circumstances around him and the deep conviction within him that enabled him to understand and act on truth. What Martin Luther had was a keen sense of a perception to realize and grasp the significance of the moment. I've maintained for years the only thing that slips away faster than time is an opportunity. For the record, I think we are living in such a moment of time and opportunity right now. And moments in history like this last longer than 60 seconds, but not by much. COVID has peeled back the layers of disparities to put on full display the injustice that we no longer recognize as normal. It was Martin Luther King Jr., another man who was made for a moment, who said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. There is injustice, disparity, inequity, and the inability of people to access what Abraham Maslow termed the rudimentary elements of life, water, food, housing, and health care. Joining us today is Deputy Director of Prosperity from the Michigan Department of Labor and Economic Opportunity, Kim Trent who also serves on the Michigan Coronavirus Task Force on Racial Disparities and with me on the Food Security Council. Kim joins Jerry Brisson and me next on this edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. As promised, Jerry Brisson back again, Jerry. Great to see you and our guest, Kim Trent. Kim, thanks for being with us. And you two, uh, I know you know each other, don't know each other, but wow, uh, the connection off air there has been pretty uh, spectacular. <laughs> well, fun to tell stories, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, we, I think we just made a lifelong friendship. Just there we are. Three minutes. So. Yeah. yeah, y'all are bonded already. Hey, Kim, introduce yourself to our audience, who you are, how did you get to the position of, uh, that you're in as deputy director, and, uh, and let's go from there. Well, it all started in 1969. Well, no, I was born here in Detroit, <laughs> um, lifelong Detroit, and my family actually has been here for a really long time. I had... Um, Actually, my, I think going back to my great-great-great-grandparents were in Michigan. So we've been here for quite some time. Um, wow. I was born in Detroit, grew up in Highland Park. I, uh, my first job when I graduated from college was um, 
at the Detroit News, where I covered City Hall in the last years of Coleman Young. And I used to say that when I was younger because I thought it made me sound very uh, accomplished and serious. And now it just makes me sound old. So I try to, <laughs> I don't share that with everybody that I started way back when Coleman Young was mayor, but I did. But I left there and um, I ended up uh, working for Senator Debbie Stabenow and Governor Granholm. I was her Southeast Michigan director for many years. And then I worked for a, a think tank called Michigan Future, which mm. really helped me. I don't know if you guys know Lou Glazer. Um, sure. I sometimes refer to myself as a Glazerite because I'm so um, really committed to his ideas about prosperity. You know, Michigan was a prosperous state for so many years. We were top 10. We, um, you know, my great grandparents and grandparents came here because there were jobs to be had and there was, um, right. you know, homes to buy and they had a second home home up north and all the all the accoutrement of the American dream. And then, you know, um, since then, it's been a rocky road. You know, we have t boom and bust. And, um, you know, we know that we need to diversify the economy. We know that we need more college graduates in our state. We need more people with post-secondary credentials. And so um, I had this opportunity to come back to state government after a 10-year absence to, you know, work with um, the team at Leo. Jeff Donofrio brought me on board, um, and he wanted me to, uh, you know, work on prosperity issues. I'm the deputy director for prosperity, and um, first of all, I really like that title. <laughs> I thought that, um, you know, anytime you can get, you know, prosperity in your job title, I think it sounds great, and I am really committed to it. I think that it's so important for us as a um, state to really be intentional about uh, having prosperity be a goal for all Michiganders. Um, we don't want it just to be reserved for um, a talented few. We want to spread the talent. I mean, part of the reason that I'm so passionate about this post-secondary credential um, path is because, um, you know, for many years I served on the board of Wayne State University, which is my alma mater, um, you know, even before I was on that board, but particularly since I've been on the board, I really got to learn about the challenges that people face. You know, when I got on the board at Wayne State, we had one of the worst graduation rates in the entire country, particularly among African-American students. Our African-American students simply weren't graduated. graduating. When I got on the board, I think we had an 11% for six-year graduation rate. Um, by the time I wow. left, it was in the mid-20s, which is still not great, but it was a, a vast improvement. And it was only improved because there was a commitment to, you know, provide wraparound services and, um, you know, to really look at the whole student and not just someone who was paying tuition to get credits, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I really was focused on that. And I, um, you know, I just really felt that this job was a, a, a culmination of, you know, you know, my work on the, the Wayne State Board, my work with Luke Glazer, um, working in government for all those years. And so um, I love what I do. I really do. I've gotten an opportunity to meet really excellent people, smart people who are, you know, really take this as their life's work. It's not just a job that they go to Monday through Friday. And um, I am, I'm excited. We just introduced our first um, poverty task force report. And now we're, you know, kind of uh, rolling up our sleeves and trying to, you know, really move forward on a lot of those recommendations that we put in the report. So that's where we are now. That's awesome. Awesome. If there was one thing I could do right this second for everyone listening, it would be to show them your, the energy that I can see in you as you're talking about this. It is 
wonderful. You radiate such joy. It's just, it's just totally catchy. You know what I mean? Oh, it's, oh that's it's, so nice, Jerry. Thank you. But you know, it's it's what radio can't do for us. But but we're gonna try because uh, because you know having hope and positivity, especially right now is so critical to whatever we're going to be a year from now. I mean, it, you know, when you talk about prosperity, especially in in light of the challenges the pandemic has brought us and a continued drive toward, you know, prosperity is possible for everyone. And yeah, it's hard work and it's steps at a time, but it's been one of the themes of Food First Michigan since the very beginning, you know, Anything hard is going to take time and you're going to have to have new partnerships and you're going to have to have innovation and innovation is always challenging. Nothing ever works perfectly, but you maintain a posture of positivity and you mm-hmm. bring people in and all of a sudden things start moving. So congratulations to you. Your your work is critically important for the people we serve, many of whom want to be prosperous and are working the best they can to be prosperous. And that story isn't told enough. But uh, good for you for being in the middle of that conversation. And uh, there's so many things that we could talk about just on the Wayne State side, too. The, yeah. We've had people on the Gleaners board from Wayne State for years and years. We love our Wayne State board members and, uh, and the work that they're trying to do on behalf of people that really need them to be successful. It's just a phenomenal connections there. And, and what a terrific thing you're doing. Well, I mean, that means a lot coming from you because that organization is so important to our our region success, the city of Detroit's success. It is so, uh, I love it. And, you know, I have a 13-year-old t- child and um, I love it because I, I think it's so important to um, raise children to understand the value of um, philanthropy and giving back. Even when you don't have anything to give, you have something to give because you have time and talent, even if you don't have um, resources. And so um, I, I, you know, from a service perspective, from, uh, and then just the important work you do with hunger, with addressing hunger in our community, um, you know, it's amazing. I actually, um, for the last for most of my adult life, I've lived within a one-mile radius of your, your headquarters over on the east side. So it is um, such an important institution. We're so proud of the work that you're doing, too. So it's really a pleasure for me to have met you and to have this opportunity to talk to you. Well, what we want to do next, guys, is talk about the, the work of the uh, Michigan Coronavirus Task Force on Racial Disparities. This was, uh, this was a task force formed by Governor Whitmer by executive order back in April of 2020. And, uh, and Kim has been uh, a leader in this, and she is a spokesperson for this. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's vitally important work. And so I... I excited to talk with you about this uh kim and we're thankful that you're here but let's take a quick break that's jerry brisson i'm dr phil knight and this is kim trent the deputy director for prosperity with the michigan department of labor and economic opportunity so we're all three back in just a moment you come back and be with us too Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Kim Trent joins Jerry Brisson and me, Dr. Phil Knight. We're here on Food First Michigan. And Kim, you've been um, in a leadership role with the 
the uh, Michigan Coronavirus Task Force on Racial Disparities. And one of the themes that we've had over the last year here on our show, um, Jerry and I have talked tremendously a lot about how, you know, the curtain has been pulled back on some of the things that we shamefully have accepted as normal in our society that now has been seen in a different light under the microscope of this pandemic. And one of those has been, you know, the, the, I just have to say it, the early on in the pandemic, the death rate in communities of color were highly disproportionate. Uh, and I think this was a driving factor for the creation of the Michigan Coronavirus Task Force on Racial Disparities. And the work that you guys have done since last April has been phenomenal. And I just want to say thank you to the entire task force, obviously the lieutenant governor, and but to you personally for your leadership in this. So talk to us about how this came into being and, and kind of the process that you've gone through. Well, I mean, certainly early in the... Um, pandemic, uh, you know, having, you know, lived in Detroit my whole life, I was astonished uh, um, mm. to see how many of my friends died. Right. I mean, right. died. Oh, I don't mean just got COVID. I mean, within that first 20 days or so, it was unbelievable. And I mean, friends, I don't mean people I knew casually, relatives. I had a 22-year-old cousin who passed away from COVID mm. in the early days of the, of the um, COVID crisis. And, um, you know, I do want to say that I have um, been a, a staffer. Um, I, I don't want to overstate my leadership. I certainly think uh, Lieutenant Governor and um, Thomas Stallworth is really, Thomas has been kind of the driving force um, from the governor's staff. Um, a former state legislator, very, comes from, a, I don't know if you know the Stallworth family. His, his mother was a longtime um, state legislator who was very, just passed away last year. Um, but, you know, Alma Stallworth, very well known. And both Tommy and his brother Keith are former state legislators. But he really understands both, um, you know, government and uh, the streets, Detroit, what it's mm -hmm. like to live in a black community, what it's like to be a leader in the black community. Um, his family also has an organization that uh, they call the uh, Black Caucus Foundation, which, you know, does a lot of work with health care and, and those kind of issues. So um, their leadership has just been amazing. I also want to give a shout out, since we're talking about Wayne State, um, Roy Wilson, who's the president of Wayne State, is also a member of the Coronavirus Task Force. And you may know that he actually served on, um, he came to Wayne State from the National Institutes of Health where he was the minority, he was the health disparities kind of, um, you know, guru for NIH. So he's someone who's very knowledgeable. So they pulled together an amazing group of leaders in our state who are just passionate about um, health, about really looking at it from a, um, you know, systemic, um, you know, all of the factors that go into um, the racial disparities that we see in health. We know that this is not just in a vacuum. It's not as if the virus just likes black people more. Um, there are so many um, reasons why um, 
we saw 40% higher death rates in the, in the early days of the um, pandemic, um, things like proximity, right. things like, you know, certainly we had a lot of pre-existing conditions. Um, there are just a number of facts, you know, a lot, of, a lot more people of color were those frontline workers who were still going into the office when a lot of us were able to work at home. And so they had right. more exposure. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you all remember that really sad story about the bus driver who actually talked about how afraid he was people were getting on his bus coughing and then sadly he died from covid and you know the, it, it was a really tragic thing that birthed this um task force but i think it's been so powerful because it really allowed our state to be kind of right out front in acknowledging those racial disparities um and really trying to come up with a strategy to address them beyond just um, lip service to really look at mm -hmm. what are the driving factors that create these disparities and how can we deal with them? Things like, you know, housing insecurity, food insecurity. Um, how are um, access to those uh, staples of life, the fact that they're denied to some people because of, you know, economic disparities, how does that lead to the health disparities that we saw in the beginning days of the pandemic? So, um, you know, I just really applaud the leadership of, you know, both the governor and the lieutenant governor. It, it's won all these national awards because of people's acknowledgement that uh, Michigan was really aggressive with this work. Um, I don't think everybody was excited about it. There were some people who I thought, who I think, you know, uh, there are people who think if you talk about race, the, the mere conversation about race is in itself racist, which I've never really understood that um, way of thinking. And so they think anytime you point out that there's any kind of racial disparity, then you are yourself being racist. Um, I am so grateful that we were able to push past those kinds of preconceptions to really think about um, the long term, not just getting through this pandemic, but what are the long term infrastructural things that we can put in place? Um, one of the things that I think is really important um, that we just now, the governor's, um, the, the Department of um, Licensing and um, Regulation, um, LARA, we call it, um, regulatory, um, they have uh, regulatory affairs, has just uh, introduced some new language so that Every healthcare professional in the state of Michigan would have to have um, implicit bias training because if you have um, black or brown skin, almost everyone I know has some story of your pain being dismissed, of you're not you know, receiving um, the treatment that maybe other people, I mean, this is not just something that we know from the statistics, we do know it from the statistics, but almost everyone has an anecdote about it happening in their lived experiences. And so, you know, helping healthcare professionals understand that implicit biases are something that everyone experiences of every race, of every gender. Everyone has their preconceived notions. That's how the brain works. The way that you deal with it is by, a, by first of all, acknowledging that you have the biases and then trying to work through it. And so we want people to be more intentional about that. And so I think just that one innovation, that one achievement is just so um, phenomenal that, that we do now, um, we have now introduced language to have that as a, um, in order for you to be credentialed as a healthcare professional in our state, we really want, um, and, you know, and obviously we're, we're working with the legislature to um, complete the process of making this um, a, a regulation, but it's something that I think we're really passionate about because, um, 
you know, we know that it's a real problem. And, and you know, things like the eviction diversion program um, during the height of the um, pandemic, because we knew how important, I mean, when you're in a pandemic, again, proximity. You want to have people to be um, safe, to be alone, to be, you know, to be just kind of with their immediate families um, and to uh, not have housing at that time was just tragic. And then even, um, you know, a moratorium on water shutoffs, which now the city of Detroit and the city of Flint have now said that they may actually be making permanent, you know, really kind of thinking through what are the long-term changes that we can and should have to ensure not just that we don't have the kind of disparities we saw in the pandemic, that, but that we can address them for the everyday disparities that we see. So many good things to say about that. And I, I appreciate you covering a lot of ground there. That, that, uh, the work obviously touched a lot of critical areas. And, and clearly for us in our work and the people that come and, and, and visit our, the, the pantries and the, the, and the schools where people can get groceries to take home and, and some of the other things they do. I mean, we're certainly aware of all of the stories or many of the stories that, that relate to the struggles that people actually have when they're trying to make it, you know? And one of the things we say is, look, if we can take hunger off the table, we know we can empower people to move on to the next success that they need. So you're taking off the table uh, things like when you walk into a doctor's office, they ask some questions before they make some assumptions, right? Even that simple thing, you say, well, that's going to that's gonna result in a better experience and a greater likelihood that people get the care they need. You talk Absolutely. about not shutting off the water. Again, take that problem off the table. Let people not have to worry about that because, man, I can't imagine how much time you would have to spend just to figure out how to bathe yourself. I mean, you know, if, if you don't have water, that's a major inconvenience and takes a lot of time to manage. I right? mean, do you remember in the beginning of the pandemic, what did we talk about? Every What was the main thing? Wear a mask, wash your hands. If right. you don't have water, you can't wash your hands. Absolutely so, right. So, um, you I know, mean, it's critical. Yeah. And so the, you know, the, the work that, that, that you've been doing there to, to bring these things to light and, and, to actually have a couple big cities say we might make these programs permanent, that's hugely important I think success. Huge. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Because water, you know, obviously is a staple of life. Um, we, in our poverty task force report, um, you know, make some recommendations about ways that we can make um, water more affordable. Um, but, you know, this is something that people have talked about for a long time. And I, you know, I, I keep talking about the gift of COVID as horrible, as horrific as it was. Um, as you talked about earlier, it laid bare for people who maybe have never thought about these issues, have never had right. to think about hunger, have never had to think about accessing state benefits, you know, Right. Navigating the unemployment system have never had to think about um, housing security. Um, I, I'm, I am so prayerful that we will see some long term strategies to help um, beyond this crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I hate to cut this off right here, guys, but we got to take a quick break. Um, so, Kim, stay with us. Uh, and she's Kim Trent. She is the Deputy Director for Prosperity at the Michigan Department of Labor and Economic Opportunity. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're all three back, so don't, don't go away long because we're going to be right back. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here with our guest, Kim Trent. 
and Kim on this task force, and I appreciate what you said. I mean, it's been great leadership. You're a part of that, but Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist, um, uh, Tom Stallworth, uh, lots of great people that are investing in this work uh, because it's a moment in time, right, that, that yeah. if we're not careful, it'll get away from us. And so you guys are seizing this moment to make sure that the lessons we've learned in the pandemic can can lift people up outside of the pandemic. And so I want you to talk with us a little bit about maybe some of your favorite recommendations that you guys have already presented to Governor Whitmer and her team Um and and you know this is this is free airtime for you. So you know, pick pick the ones you love the most. <laughs> oh wow, you're gonna get me in trouble here. I I would yeah. say, I, you know, instead of saying the ones I love the most, let's talk about the ones that I think have the most momentum right now. And you there know, you would, go. I would start with because I, I think that there's momentum on both sides of the aisle for. Um, some changes that we want to make to the way that um, our TANF dollars are distributed. Um, we are really an outlier. Our state really, um, the way that we um, distribute benefits in our state is very punitive. It's really designed to lock people out instead of bringing people, uh, giving people kind of the support they need. And so I am optimistic uh, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to promise that we're going to have wholesale change. But one way that we do have, we do think that there is bipartisan support, is for kind of addressing benefits cliffs. Um, we we know that you know if you're a clerk at Meyer, and you know you're a single parent, and you make a certain amount of money, and you because of the money that you make, you're able to get health care benefits and child care benefits and maybe even food assistance. Um, you know, and so you're not really thriving, you're struggling, but um, someone comes to you and says, you're doing a great job and we wanna give you a promotion to assistant manager. There are people who are saying no to opportunities to have economic mobility because they're so afraid of losing those benefits because they need them. They need those childcare benefits. They need those, um, you know, they need to have health insurance. And so um, what we have had really very fruitful, fruitful conversations with the with uh, Majority Leader Shirky's office and others about addressing the benefits cliff in a meaningful way in the state mm. of Michigan. So I believe, you know, we have five recommendations in the um, task force report that um, would do that. Um, so far, we've been told one is a no-go. <laughs> one was increasing, you know, right now you are able to have um, access to, you know, what we call FIP dollars, Family Independence Program dollars. Mm -hmm. um, those are the, the actual cash benefits that are given to families. And, you know, welfare as we once knew it does not exist anymore. And I think that's a really important uh, point for people to understand. We, um, you know, I, I know there was a lot of resentment that was created about, um, you know, we went from kind of having a war on poverty to a war on the poor, where people vilified the poor, where there was this idea that um, people who were poor deserved to be poor, they deserved to struggle. And um, we saw in Michigan, um, even though our poverty rate in some ways actually decreased, we saw an increase of what we call the Alice rate. Those people who uh, work every day, sometimes work two and three jobs, and still just aren't quite making ends meet. And they used to, a lot of these folks used to be middle class, and they just saw their middle class status kind of slip away. And so I think now there's more, um, 
empathy, I think, for people who are struggling in our state. Um, you know, I was empathetic all along. I, I'm sure that both of you were too. But we know that, you know, you, empathy is not innate for everyone. So um, um, I think that the business community now is, is, is feeling the hurt because we have talent issues, um, mm -hmm. which, is, which, which we're trying to address through, um, you know, the governor's real commitment to expanding childcare options. So we get more women in the, in the workforce. We saw a lot of people talk about COVID as being, instead of a recession, people call it a she-session she because so many women have had to leave the workforce because they don't feel comfortable leaving their children. Um, there are a lot of childcare um, operators have either gone out of business or aren't working right now or are um, kind of over uh, understaffed. So, um, we really are trying to be intentional about uh, making childcare more affordable. We have a really exciting pilot that we describe in the work um, with that we call TriShare, where in, we have three different cities in Grand Rapids, Muskegon, and Saginaw right now. We're looking to bring it to Detroit as well, where employers are able to offer as a benefit to their um, employees a program where the employee pays a third of childcare costs the employer pays a third and the state pays the last third so that childcare is a lot more affordable. It's a boon to, you know, certain businesses that are able to offer this benefit. They're able to get talented parents who maybe would not be in the workforce if not for that. So that's something I'm really excited about. I think that's a high priority for Governor Whitmer to really build out um, our childcare um, um, infrastructure. Um, I'm excited um, in the governor's budget, although I understand that yesterday the legislature voted it down, but the number one thing I hear, to be honest with you, in this work when I go out and talk to people about it is affordable housing. To be honest with you, I hear that more than anything else, no matter what the audience is, the lack of affordable housing that we have in the state. And we have a, um, a fund that has not been funded for so long that people can't even remember the last time it was funded. And the governor put $10 million into our community um, development fund for the state. Um, I understand that the legislature um, did vote it, but we're still, gonna, we're still gonna push for it. We think it's so important, um, you know, because without housing, food, um, you know, those are, you know, the two staples that, water is another water. staple. You know, those are the staples that you know, every single person needs. It's not, a, it's not an optional kind of thing. So Absolutely. Um, I think it's something that Abraham Maslow said for sure that Jerry and I have talked about a lot on the show, Kim. And Jerry, a lot of what Kim's saying really has a lot of impact on our work around food security. Well, there's no question. 47% of the households that come for food help have at least one employed adult in it. I mean, you know, so you have people who are working and, and what you would say are doing everything right. You know what I mean? They, they have some education. They're, they're, they're working a job or two. They are doing the things they know how to do to improve their life. But as you just said, the benefits cliff is a really good example of how systems work against people. And when you've got to turn down promotions because if you make another dollar an hour, you lose $6 an hour in benefits. Right. I mean, now right. you could say, well, you know, you know, that's just the price you pay for upward mobility. Well, if you can afford to pay the price, it's one thing. When you can't feed your kids who you're trying to get through school, that's too high a price. 
Absolutely. Right. You, you, you got to really understand what that price is. So I, I, we've talked about the benefits, Cliff, and the difficulty of having it a number of times on the show. And we really do believe that there are affordable ways to address that. It's not just that you have to have more money, more money, but you have to look at how you're spending the money you have. You have to really look at making these government subsidies and private help like what food banks do seamlessly integrate. And you can find a way to support people over that cliff or, or through it or or get rid of the cliff and put dirt in it. I don't know what you do about it, but, but, you know, whatever that is, you know, to make that cliff turn into a plateau at the very worst, right? We really appreciate that because we we see it all the time and, and, and the frustration that people have when they're really trying to, to, to make things work without any help and they just can't get there from here. Hey, Kim, is there a place where uh, our listening audience can find the report? Yeah. You know, if you go to michigan.gov slash Leo, um, you you can find um, the poverty. There's a whole page for the Poverty Task Force, and it has the report. Um, You can sign up for updates. Um, You can learn about, um, you know, what Alice Data kind of shows us um, about the face of poverty today. And, um, you know, learn about how we stood up this task force. The task force, um, the governor pulled together in December of 2019, and um, it is uh, comprised of 14 state directors. So she really recognized that this work could not be done in silos. It had to be collaborative, you know, kind of deploying all of our innovation from a lot of different departments, not just DHHS. Not just, um, you know, Leo, but, you know, pretty much every department has a role in it. And so we really have tried to approach it in that way. Um, You can kind of learn about how, what her vision is for the task force. And I just really hope that people will sign up for our updates so they can hear about um, the successes that I'm hoping that we'll be able to report on from those um, 35 recommendations that we made in the report. She's Kim Trent. She is the Deputy Director for Prosperity at the Michigan Department of Labor and Economic Opportunity. Kim, what a treat to have you. And I echo what Jerry said earlier in the show. Your enthusiasm just radiates. And uh, we're, we're, you know, as soon as we get through this, we want to have you in the studio so uh, we can see that smile in person and, uh, and, 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 and get an update on uh, the work of the Poverty Task Force. Well, so you know, thank when the, you. When the, work re, when the world re, reopens, my office is right across the street, or one of my offices, I work in Lansing too, but right across the street at Cadillac Place. So I'll just cross the street and come over and visit you over in that beautiful Fisher Building. So thank you so much for the invitation. I can't wait. It's great to have you. Jerry and I are back to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Kim Trent. You're right. She's enthusiastic, and she wants everybody to be prosperous. Yeah, she's amazing, and it was awesome to to have this interaction with her. I mean, what a what a treat for us, and hope and hopefully you all agree. Uh, Kim was amazing. Uh, you know, it reminds me of so many things that intersect with our work, 
and how important these relationships are. You know, state government does a lot of great things, and oftentimes our our government servants get a bad rap, and that's just unfortunate because there are a lot of tremendously smart people doing very important work that really drives a lot of success. So I just want to say I'm really grateful for what's happening in the Department of Prosperity. I love that name. Uh, I think what we all want is prosperity for the people we serve, and, and I think that's every food bank in Michigan is in that same boat. We do what we do because we know people are grateful and they use that help to get to the next success in their life or to manage a crisis in their life or both. And so this, the, what, what Kim talked about intersects with all that very effectively, and I'm looking forward to more. Yeah, me too. I, I think that particularly the conversation about the benefits cliff was really, uh, you know, it, it ties right in with this show and also obviously with the work of our seven food banks that uh, are here in the state. So I, any progress we can make on the benefits cliff is going to impact our work, thereby our families, significantly. No question. I guess it's time for a little food for thought then. This pandemic has pulled back the curtain and put disparity on center stage. It's there for all of us to see. But our job is not to gaze or gawk at the perils that disparity creates, but our job is to unite and create the personal will that will give us the political will to strip disparity of its power over us, remove its ability that blinds us, so that we can plainly see and replace that with the light of equity that promotes, provides, and empowers, thus creating access to the fundamental elements of life, guaranteeing they are available to everyone, no matter their zip code. We believe the first step in solving poverty is creating food security. So join us as we continue to make and keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.